0: Father, we are rocked by this idea that we are forgiven in you, that through the cross of Jesus Christ, that we could hear words like "forgiveness is nothing but sheer grace. We didn't earn your forgiveness. If, if we're honest, we didn't even ask for it. You just decided to be gracious. And Father, we thank you this morning. It is because of your love way Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 will say it is because of your great love in which you loved us you made us alive together in Christ and all of us that have trusted in you have trusted in the work of your son Jesus Christ and because of that we are forgiven and only people that have a huge debt against God can hear words like forgiveness and rejoice Because if we haven't been forgiven much, we won't rejoice much. But when we have noted that we have sinned against you. And it is in your mercy and in your grace that you said forgiven. We thank you, Lord. And we pray that that would birth in this room a sense of adoration, a sense of praise, a sense of worship, a sense of gratitude, a sense of thanksgiving because of the work of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we do not make it a common message that we are forgiven. It rocks us every time we hear it and every time we sing about it. And So we thank you, Lord, today, and we gather ourselves together today just to publicly and corporately thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Well, good morning to everybody. It is an honor and and a delight and a privilege to be here gathered with God's people um, packed in here, putting down some rows. Y'all should have came to the first service. We had some room in the first service. Amen. But nevertheless, it is good to be here with you guys, um, proclaiming the work of Jesus Christ. I love community, man. I love seeing your faces. Uh, Timmy mentioned that the guys got together yesterday, but it sounded like the girls got together yesterday as well. Amen. The ladies, the girls, ladies. All right. Felicia, I felt a little bass over there. Little, I'm sorry. The ladies got together, heard they went soul cycling, so all right, all right. Listen, listen, y'all are hype. Brothers, we gotta do better though, seriously. Seriously, we can't be sitting in circles if the ladies out cycling. We we gotta do something, we gotta play basketball, we gotta we gotta jog, we gotta do something like manly, you know. Anyway um it is good to be here it it really is it's good to be here and I, I want to encourage you guys to uh to, you know to jump into some of this stuff that's going on you know these are ways that we intentionally try to create community and community is so so important for your spiritual walk you know you being isolated you you know having podcast pastors that stuff isn't helpful for you you need community you need to go to a place where you are known and so we are grateful uh well anyway, good morning to everybody there are a lot of first time visitors so Welcome to you guys. My name is Brandon Watts. I get to serve as the lead pastor of this great um, and young church. We are here planted in this area, and we genuinely believe that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. It is a complex city. It is a big city. It is an overpopulated city, and it's an expensive city. You should touch your neighbor and say, it's expensive. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Nevertheless, the Lord loves the landlords. He (laughs) He loves the tenants. He loves the city councils, and uh, nevertheless, we, we're here planted in this area because we genuinely want to see this area uh, redeemed with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Well, listen, I'm eager to preach the word of God today. Why don't you do me a favor and grab your Bibles, and uh, go ahead and run to Matthew chapter 18. Grab those Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. It's not many pages flipping, so grab your phones, whatever you got. If you could turn to Matthew chapter 18, which is where we'll be. Listen, we um, we finished up our first Peter series. Uh, Those of you who are not familiar with our church, when we say we finished it up, we went through the entire book, all five uh, chapters of first Peter. And we did so because we believe that the Lord uh, really works best when he, we're just going through scripture. So we like to allow the scriptures to guide our time. And so uh, today we are doing standalone series between now and the end of the month. And then we'll jump back into a a sermon series in December. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 18 today. Uh, I'm really, really eager to preach. So if you guys could just jump and pick me up in verse number 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus says to him, I do not say to you seven times, But seventy seven times. Watch this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him. Listen to the amount. Ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Please make a note of that because it is impossible for him to pay back what he said he's going to pay. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found a fellow servant who owed him a 100 denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience on me and I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were, please underline this phrase, greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brothers, note this phrase, from the heart. I want to preach today from the topic entitled the need for forgiveness, the need for forgiveness. Let us pray. Father, we come before you uh, with a very powerful text in our in our laps or on our phones. And father, the reality is the weight of this text, we will never fully understand. Many of us walked in this room today with deep offenses. We walked in this room holding grudges against people. We walked in this room having family members that we haven't spoken to in years. We have friends and relationships that have been destroyed because people have genuinely offended us. And because they've offended us, we've withheld forgiveness for them. Father, would you get at us today in your text? This is not just some cute story. Father, we believe that this is an infallible word of God. And we pray that we would hear it today and not walk away and say entertaining. But no, we'd walk away and say, how can I apply this? May we be quick to forgive others, quick to seek reconciliation and not disfellowship with our family members, our friends, even even relationships within the church. Father, get at us today through your word. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The need for forgiveness in Iran. It is a standard practice that. If a family member dies, the other family members can go to the execution. In fact, they can oversee the execution. And they give them a choice in Iran. They get Up until today, they give them a choice if they want to pardon the one that has killed a family member of theirs. So it was so with a family a husband and a wife, that their child got killed in a drive-by shooting. And they caught and convicted this young man. And when they caught and convicted him... They brought the parents in and they said, after seven years, we'll allow you to come and say if you want to execute him or not. Well, they finally get to the execution. And when they get there, the husband and the wife, they go all the way to the point where they tie the noose around his neck. And when they tied it around his neck, the husband and the wife ran up and they loose the noose and begin to hug him and say these words, I forgive you. Now, here's the reality. Forgiveness is not easy. Let's just be honest. Some of you in this room walk in here with some deep, deep offenses. You have been deeply hurt and it's been the the hurt that you have received is legitimate. Like we are not saying forgive at the expense of the hurt. No, you've been hurt and the hurt is significant. Nevertheless, forgiveness is necessary in the text. In fact, Jesus doesn't even give us. A, he doesn't even allow us to use it as an option. Forgiveness is a must. And we'll see that. In our text today, our text is coming off the heels of the preceding verses, verses 15 to 20. I encourage you guys to read it. We did not read it this morning, but read it when you get home. Verses 15 to 20 lay out what we would call, uh, as our church holds to this as church discipline. So verses 15 to 20, you see Jesus talking about if your brother sins against you, forgive him or or go to him. And if if he repents, then you can forgive him. You've gained a brother. Then it goes on to say, but if he doesn't repent, take two or three witnesses. If he still doesn't repent, what's the last progression in in the process? You take it to the church. If he still doesn't repent, what we would say is excommunication or disfellowship. You now put him out of enjoying the community. Far too often, we rush to the last part of that process and we disfellowship with people. But the point, if you read verses 15 to 20, And walk away and say, this is about excommunication. You've missed what Jesus is saying. Jesus' point in the passage is about reconciliation. It's about forgiving your brother. And you know how I know that? Because all of the other disciples missed it. But you know who got it? Peter. And you know how I know he got it? Because Peter follows up after Jesus lays out what reconciliation looks like in verses 15 to 20. Peter follows up. And after he follows up, he asks two questions. One of them is a real question. and The other one is more like a recommendation. It's not really a question. Look at what he says. Look back with me at verse number 21 before we jump into the parable. Then Peter came to him and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother's sin against me? And then he says, that's one question. Here's the second question. As many as seven times? Is that a question to really a recommendation. What Jesus, what Peter was doing was he was trying to figure out, Lord, if my brother sins against me, like legitimately, how often should I forgive him? Now, he has in his mind the rabbinical tra- uh, tradition, what the rabbis used as a standard for forgiveness. The standard rabbis used in ancient times was I can forgive you three times. Three times I should forgive you a fourth really is you lacking genuine repentance the first three times. And so I don't have to forgive the fourth one. But Jesus flips this upside down today. What's interesting is Peter was very generous in saying seven times. The reason he was generous is because he more than doubled the standard that rabbis used during this time. But Jesus, this is what makes Jesus so hard to figure out, is Jesus hears this recommendation posed as a question, and he's not impressed. He's not impressed. In fact, look at what Jesus says back to him in verse number 22. Then Jesus said to him, we haven't got to the parable yet. This is just Jesus response. Then Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy seven times. Now, I'm starting to learn this language called Greek, with which the New Testament was written in. And one of the things I found out about verse number 22 is it's actually very hard to translate from the original language into the English language, which is why if you got if you got a King James Bible, I see pops over there with the tambourine. So I know you got a King James Bible. (laughs) If you got if you got a King James Bible and you read this, it's going to say seven times seven. But our text today says 77 times. Either way, the point is the same. Here's the point. You must forgive Without limits. Let me put some Bible here. Luke chapter 17, verse three and four says this This is Jesus words. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you, listen to this seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent. The text goes on to say you must forgive him. It doesn't say it's a good idea to forgive him. It's an option to forgive him. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verses three and four, if he turns to you each time he sins against you and says, forgive me, I repent. Jesus says you must forgive him. So this idea of should I just forgive him seven times? No, if he sins against you an eighth time and repents, you must forgive him. Now, I know that's harder, you know, it's it's easier said than done, but it nevertheless, is true. I'm reminded of the story with, uh, not the story, but the situation a few years ago with the church in Charleston, South Carolina, when the Emanuel AME Church was in Bible study, and they welcomed this young man into their Bible study, and he ended up shooting eight people during Bible study, and the response of the family members of the victims was profound. Each family member said, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. And what we get in our text today is really Jesus going to roll into a parable about forgiveness. Don't miss it. The whole parable is about forgiveness. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, if you're, you know, you don't have any church background or you're not familiar with the scriptures, that's okay. We're glad that you're here. A parable is really a story. And that is how Jesus, most of the time when Jesus preached, he preached in stories. And the interesting thing about Jesus and stories, I say it all the time, but it's true. You know, Jesus is the only one I know that can tell you a story. You don't know that he's lighting you up in the story until you get home. you like, did he just light me up? That's what Jesus does in parables. And what he does here after Peter asks two questions, he wants to show him what forgiveness looks like. And so he says, I'm going to give you a story. Watch the story because the story is profound. Verse number 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's important for us as we walk into this parable, it's important for us to note the characters in the story. So far in verses 23 and 24, we are presented to two characters. One is the king. Now keep in mind, Jesus started the parable by saying, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven must be compared to. In other words, this parable I'm giving you is a yeah, it's a kingdom principle, but really it's for you. It's how you should live and operate on earth. And so what he says is there's a king and we must identify who the king is. And if we don't, you'll walk out of here and say, I'm the king. But can I promise you in the text, you're not the king. God is the king in the text. You know who we are in the text? The servants. We are the servant in the text, God is the king. In the text, now this poses a problem. Why does it pose a problem? Because the servant isn't in good standards with the king. Servant actually owes the king a debt, a huge debt. A huge debt is what he owes him. And the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 24 when he began to settle the king, one was brought to him who owed look at this 10,000 talents. I want you to understand and really feel the weight of how much the debt is. He doesn't owe him a few hundred dollars. Uh, A talent really is really the weight of coins. And so, really, if you take the if you do the math on this, ten thousand talents really can be added up to six thousand denarii. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you. You may be thinking six thousand dollars. If we commentators have tried to calculate this, and you it's you can't even calculate it. It's noted to be in the millions, if not the billions. Notice the debt that this servant is in. Keep in mind, you're the servant and God is the king. So really what Jesus starts off saying is you owe a debt to God. But no, no, no. Don't think it's a debt that you can pay. If we cannot calculate the debt, can we agree it's unpayable? He cannot pay the debt, which is funny because later on he's going to be like, I'll pay you everything. Impossible. It's in the millions, if not billions. Let me come down your street and just let you know where you stand with God. Outside of Jesus Christ, you owe a debt that you cannot pay. Like, understand something. There's not enough money in your piggy bank to pay the debt that you owe to God. You owe a debt to God from the time you were born that is unpayable. The text tells us today, if God is the king and we are the servants, and we owe him a debt and the debt is too big for us. You cannot earn it. You cannot be voted in. You cannot. The debt can't be voted off of you like you owe the debt, which is why we got to rejoice in Jesus. The reason we got to rejoice in Jesus is because it is in him that the debt is paid. Like, and that's what's crazy about Jesus. I don't want to rush myself. I want to go through the text here. But just know when you stand like how are you going to stand before God without Jesus with the debt that you owe to God? Psalms 130 verse number three says it well. Ask a question. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who can stand before you? Nobody can stand before God if he marks your iniquity. Jesus is the answer to the text in in Psalm chapter 130. How do we stand before God with a debt? Because of Jesus, because he has paid the debt. Look back at the verse with me, verse number 24, because I want you to see what this this servant does with this debt. Watch what happens, what the king does with the servant. Verse number 24, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had in payment be made. So verse number 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. He says, I will pay you everything. Verse 27. And out of pity, his master, the master of the servant, released him and forgave him. Did you see what happens in the story? There's a king that's looking to settle debts, which, by the way, that's the first point of application. The first point of application is that God will look to settle debts with you one day. Do not live your life as though you'll never stand before God. If, if the king represents God in the text, we know that God is going to be looking to settle that debt with you one day. And so if you're in here and you're like, I can just live in your way and I'll give my life to, to the Lord one day. No. The debt is still owed if you haven't trusted in Jesus, and God will be settling that debt. But the text goes on to say he is looking for this man. He finds him. He owes him 10,000 talents. And what does he do? He says, I'm selling you. I'm selling your wife. I'm selling your children. And that will pay off the debt. But what does the servant do? He drops to his knees, and he begins to plead with the king not to do what he said he's going to do. And what does the king do? I love this. The king has mercy on him. The king sees the debt, he knows the debt, and the Bible says that he sees him, he releases him, and he forgives him. Note something very important about the gospel here. Notice that the king does not release him and forgive him and still make him pay. Like that would have been gracious if the king said, you know what? I'm going to forgive you, but you got to pay 1% of this debt. Which by the way, 1% of the debt he still couldn't pay. But what if the king said, man, this, this is how gracious I'm going to be. You still got to pay a percentage. See, that is why I love the gospel, because in the gospel, you and I in this room, we have to pay nothing on the debt. Like it is 100 percent forgiven in Jesus Christ. 100. Like, you know, that little emoji on your phone, you know, the red 100. It's that. <laughs> You are forgiven in Jesus Christ. You will not stand before God and he say, Jesus paid 75 and you got to pay 25. You will not stand before God and he say, you got to pay a percentage. You will not stand before God and he put you on some divine welfare plan. Notice that the king forgave him completely. He does not owe the king a dime. You should rejoice in here if you've trusted in Jesus. Because the debt that you owe to God. Did you hear the song? Is forgiven like 100% forgiven you pay nothing back on it I, I'm just I'm, I'm a little charismatic I'm just a little confused why we sitting in here quiet I am like I'm confused like if somebody if you owed a debt to the IRS and somebody walked in and said I'm paying your student loans I'm paying the whole debt." Yeah. see this I don't get it yes. why we don't have that when it comes to the gospel It is in Jesus Christ that the debt is paid. 100% paid. He doesn't ask him to earn it, people. He does not not say to the servant, he doesn't even say that this would have been gracious too. He could have said, you know what? This debt is huge. I can't completely forgive you. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep one of your children. He doesn't say I'm going to keep your wife. He doesn't say I'm going to keep you and let your family go. The debt's gone. That becomes important when we look at the rest of the text. But notice something in verse number 27. I want to show you grace and mercy here. And out of pity, the master said to the servant, notice these two phrases, release him and forgive him. That is a picture of grace and mercy. Because, again, he doesn't say what he could have done. And this would have been gracious as well. He could have released him, but beat him first. He could have said, I'm going to let you go, but you got to get it beaten first. He doesn't do that. Or he could have done it another way. He could have forgave him, but again, put him on some type of payment plan. He doesn't do either in our text. He looks at him out of his own pity because he dropped his knees. He didn't try to earn it. He didn't try to conjure up favor with him. He just looks at him and says, you know what? I got a pity on you. And the Bible says that he forgives him. Let me... Again, come down your street here. If Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven of the debt that we owe. Why do we hold grudges and hold forgiveness to other people? This is what the text says. Look at Ephesians chapter three, chapter four, verse number 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Watch this. Forgive one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 13, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Listen to me. The motivation to forgive somebody that has offended you, listen to me, is the gospel. The motivation to forgive the one that has done you wrong is because you have been forgiven in Jesus. That is the motivation for all of us to give. And that's what the text is saying today. It's saying forgiveness like You should not withhold forgiveness. I don't care what the offense is. And so, again, some of you walked in with deep wounds, but the offense should not be greater than the cross. The cross has secured your right to be before God. Why is it that we hold a grudge against other people? Well, unfortunately, this servant in this passage did not get the memo that he was completely forgiven. You know how I know he didn't get the memo? Look back at the text with me, verse number 28. So keep in mind, he's forgiven 100 percent. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owe, who owed him. Watch the amount. A hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay with you all. Here's what's interesting. Like he doesn't even give him time to say he can pay it or not. Verse 28, he sees him, starts choking him out like that's how wicked this dude is. And what I don't want to do is, and I think the church hasn't done well at this. Sometimes the church can ask you to forgive somebody without affirming that you were actually hurt. Like, let's be, let's be honest. He owes here a lot of money. The debt that, that the fellow servant owes to him is significant. And so it is with you. Some of you are already thinking right now in your mind, you're thinking about that debt or that offense that somebody has made to you. I get it, but can I tell you how much it pales into comparison to the debt that you owe to God? The debt you owe to God is, like this says 100 denarii. 100 denarii really can be, it's equivalent to a common worker in that time, three months wages of a common worker. Like think on your mind the whatever, however much you make, if somebody walked up to you that you owed them, uh, owe them money and they walked up to you and said, give me three months of the wages. Some of you can pay it like that. But the reality is most of us will be struggling. <laughs> and in our text, this guy doesn't have it. But the debt that he owes to him pales in the comparison. Like, please consider that the king, he owes the king, the Bible says 10,000 talents. The fellow servant, he only owes him 100 denarii. Like, even if the servant said, Here, take it, if he took that and went and paid it to the king, he's, it's only a fraction. It wouldn't even put a dent in what he owed the king. So it didn't matter, not to mention that he was forgiven. Like, please, when I first read this text, I said to myself, I get it. I'd choke him out too. But then I started to realize the dude was forgiven in the text. Like, he doesn't owe the king a dime. And so, in other words, he's not choking him out. I know I keep saying that, but it's true. He's not choking him because he needs like he's not in desperation. I got to pay the king. No, the king forgave him. He's doing it because of wickedness in his heart. And you know how I know that? Because later on, the king's going to see him and says, you wicked servant. He is choking him purely based on the fact that he does not realize and he did not grasp that he was forgiven. Here's what it is. You in this room, when you withhold forgiveness from somebody else, you have forgot the gospel. You have forgot that you have been forgiven. Like consider the debt that somebody else owes you. You owe much more to God. And so when you think about the grace and think about the mercy that is on your life because of Jesus, it should move you to reconciliation. It should move you. Like we do that silent treatment stuff. I'll forgive you, but I ain't talking to you. The text is very clear. How you forgive somebody else is, a, is indirect. It's a direction to how you were forgiven in Jesus. It is Jesus Christ that has forgave you. Therefore, we must be quick to forgive others. Let's get back in the text because there's more in here. So we know he's forgiven. The motivation for us forgiving others is the fact that we've been forgiven. This text goes on. Verse number 28, I, I want you to, there, there's more in here that I really want you to pick up. But when the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, for I will pay you. It's the same thing he said to the king. Verse number 30, he refused And went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. Verse number 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, please note this. They were greatly distressed and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. I do not think that Jesus put the fellow servants that were around. So there's some guys that are around that sees this unforgiveness they are disturbed by it. In fact, the text says greatly distressed. They run to the king and tell the king what happens. Now, I don't think Jesus put this in here so that we can find out how the king knew. There's a reason Jesus put this into the text. And the reason Jesus put this into the text is because oftentimes when it comes to forgiveness or unforgiveness, we think that it's a private issue. But can I promise you it is not a private issue. The reason it's not a private issue, and this is how I know it's not, because in the text, others are witnessing this unforgiveness. So I know you're like, girl, I can't, you don't tell me how to forgive because, you know, you don't know the offense. No, listen, the community needs to know. We need to be involved, and the reason we need to be involved is because the text tells us that they were greatly distressed. One of the quickest ways to destroy a church is to have a bunch of people that are unforgiving because it impacts the community. It impacts all of us. And so we have to be quick to forgive. We have to be quick to reconcile. It's not easy. I know I'm making it sound easy. I'm being honest with you. It is not easy. Nevertheless, it is necessary because the Bible tells us that when these men saw it, they were greatly distressed. And then they go up to the king. Look at what they do in verse 32. Texas preaching itself this morning, this afternoon. Verse number 32. Then the master summoned him and said to him, look at this. You wicked servant, I forgave you of the debt because you pleaded with me. This question hangs over all of our heads this morning. Verse 33, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Like whatever that situation is, I hope you have it on your mind because the question then becomes, should you not forgive that person that has offended you because you've been forgiven in Jesus like, notice the king calls him wicked. He doesn't call him wicked, again, because he choked him. He calls him wicked according to the text. Should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had on you? He calls him wicked because he forgot that he, yeah, he received mercy. He forgot that the gospel impacted his life. And the quickest way to know, if you're trying to find a litmus test, if you're truly a converted, if you're truly a believer, the greatest way for us to find out is how you forgive others. That's the greatest way. Now, I'm not saying that forgiveness is a requirement for salvation, but I am saying it's the fruit of it. It is the fruit that you are saved. We know that you have trusted in Jesus by how you are quick to reconcile with others. Our boy in the text forgot the gospel. So often you forget the gospel and you forget that you are forgiven, which is why we hold the grudge. Which is why we say we've taken forgiveness off the table, but the questions are being asked this morning. Are you grateful for the work that Christ has done on your behalf? Are you grateful that you have received grace? Are you grateful that you have received mercy? if you are grateful, if the answer is yes, you should be quick to forgive. You should be thinking in your mind. You should have already shot a text to that person, say, hey, I got to talk to you next week. You should be considering how you can reconcile. Now, again, I'm not saying sweep under the rug. Forgiveness does not mean I have to sweep it under the rug. Forgiveness means I'm going to deal with it. That's what I love about Joseph. You, You look at the story with Joseph, the Bible says that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He's put into a a pit and he was sold into slavery. And when he gets to the end of uh, Genesis, when he finally forgives his brothers, in his forgiveness speech, he did not dismiss the fact that they sold him. He said, what you did, you meant it for evil. He addressed their evil. So in other words, forgiveness doesn't mean wipe it clean, act like it never happened. No, Forgiveness means we got to have some tough conversations. You hurt me. You offended me. And I need to tell you that you hurt me. But nevertheless, I'm not going to let that hurt lead to bitterness. We got too many bitter Christians. It's too many of us. Let's forgive. Let's reconcile. So I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. We're going to deal with it. But I'm going to forgive you. Why? Because it is a sign of the fact that I've been forgiven. Too much spiritual amnesia in the church. We forget the God. We forget that we have been saved through the cross. So the king pushes it here. Let's finish this thing up, land the plane in verse number 30. We'll do 34 and 35 and then we'll end here. I hope you got your your situation on your mind. Verse 34, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother From your heart. I know I love this phrase from your heart, because that means that doesn't just mean the audible words of saying I forgive you. That means genuinely forgive them. But verses 34 and 35, I have a professor that often says, don't let the details in a story create a whole theological position. Verses 34 and 35, if misunderstood, you could read this passage and say, oh, I can lose my salvation. That's not what the text is saying. The text is not pointing out that we can lose our salvation. The text is pointing out that we know our salvation by how we forgive. This man is called by the king a wicked servant. God is calling those. So in other words, he forgot the gospel. He did this this horrendous act of unforgiveness. And the king looks at him and says, like, it's almost like he never even understood that he was forgiven. So this isn't saying You can lose your salvation. What it's pointing to is the fact that we know you're saved or not by how you forgive. How do you forgive? Think of your situation in this room and consider that question. Are you being merciful like God has been merciful to you? To draw the conclusion that that you can lose your salvation is a dangerous assumption. He's not saying that. Again, it'll go against the rest of scripture. Really what he's pointing to is this again. That your forgiveness of others really is it's the litmus test. Somebody in this room ha- walked in here today and you you genuinely have been hurt. And I know you've been hurt. But here's the reality: Does, do you allow that hurt to take forgiveness off the table? Is it still an option? And if it's not, you need to search your heart. Not, like they don't present for unforgiveness as a bad thing. They don't like the king doesn't present it as not a nice, not nice thing. It's presented in the text as wicked. Like consider your unforgiveness is wicked. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want to pray for somebody today that will be honest and say, you know what? I have a situation that is, that deeply wounded me. And because of that, as a result, really a consequence, I decided not to forgive. Because it's not easy. I'm genuinely hurt. I don't know how to engage in the conversation. But today, God wants you to know that in Jesus Christ, you have been released and forgiven. And if that is the case, then you should forgive somebody else. If somebody in this room is struggling with forgiveness, would you do me a favor? Just slip your hand in the air. If you would say, that's me. And can I be honest with you, I have my hand up today. Those who are in this room that says, I struggle with forgiving. Slip your hand in the air. Can you do me a favor? Nothing spooky. As a sign of accountability that you need to forgive. Can you, those that have raised their hand, can you come down to this altar? I simply want to pray. And can I tell you I'm on the altar today? Come on, quickly, if you raised your hand, if you could just come down to this altar. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I know I need to forgive. Here's the reality. Some of you in here are hurt, but you've also hurt others. Someone else that you've offended wants to stand on this altar. Father, I want to pray for every single person here. We are quick to throw jabs we're quick to do Facebook posts on how others have offended us. But we're not quick to do a Facebook post on our own self. The fact that we struggle with forgiveness. God, help us today. Remind all of us of the gospel. Remind all of us that we are forgiven 100% in Jesus. And let the motivation for us to forgive others be the fact that we've been forgiven in you. Somebody on this altar may not know you. They may not, they may not fully have grasped that they have been forgiven. Would you save them today? And in saving them, help them to move towards their reconciliation with you to reconciling, reconciling with their brother or their sister. I pray that they wouldn't move too fast, too fast from the offense. I pray that they would deal with it. I pray that they would openly and honestly say you hurt me You betrayed me and you did me wrong, but I forgive you. May those words come out of our mouth. And after we forgive them, the next person that hurts us, let us be quick to reconcile with them. We are messy people, Lord. Family members are messy because we're messy because we're all sin. We're all sinful. Church members are messy. Co-workers are messy. We need you. We need the Holy Spirit to drive us to reconciling. So, Father, I pray for every single person on this altar that is struggling with forgiveness. Pray that they would this week extend forgiveness. And the the initial start or the initial step of forgiveness might just be a text saying, I got to talk to you. I'm hurt, but I forgive you and we should talk. that somebody would take somebody out to lunch this week and tell them how they hurt them, but forgive them. Because we do not want to be bitter. We want to show that we've been forgiven. We want to show the gospel. Only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. We want to show it by forgiving others. It is in Christ's name we give glory and honor. Amen.